Well, do any of you know or remember what an audio stereogram is? No. Now, you're like, what is that? Well, actually, until I, I actually looked up, I was thinking of this thing, but I didn't know the actual name of it. But now, if you remember, um, it was, I, I, was in, I was in high school. It was in the, the not later 90s. And it was really popular thing came out where there are these pictures that had all these little funny dots on it or little squares on it. And if you looked at it just the right way, it kind of looked almost past and through the picture, it became 3D. And uh, I remember that, that was so exciting. I would go to Greeley Mall. It was a happening place. It was a place to go and hang out. Not anymore. <laughs> it's pretty much a dead. But uh, there was, I remember a store there that had these stereo, uh, uh, let me say it right, audio stereograms on the walls. And you could buy one. But there were just tons of people in there just trying to see the, the, the 3D image. And, and when you would see it, you'd be like, oh, there it is. And it just kind of pops together and you see it. And, and things that looked like all scattered become clear. Well, as we look at God's plan and his promises and his, his prophecies, especially as we look in the Old Testament, sometimes they seem scattered and, and trying to understand and pull them together. But when we look at the Advent, that first coming of Jesus Christ, all of these things come into focus and we see what God was in the midst of and what he was doing. And I have no doubt Two, at the same time, when Christ comes a second time, there'll be all of these prophecies, all these things that we were like, how is this all going to come together? And in that moment, we'll be like, oh, we see God's grand and amazing plan. But we see that in the advent of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, fully God and fully man who came, who was the, the prophesied Messiah King, who was the suffering servant who died for our sins. And throughout our Advent time, last week I mentioned that we are looking at Old Testament passages, ones that are, are often read um, during this time of Advent, maybe in a reading plan or, or different things that traditionally these passages, these prophecies come up. And as we look at the Old Testament, we see clarity when we look at the birth of Jesus Christ. Hopefully you've been able to, we, we gave away, I have one up here actually to the, the Advent book, Fixated. And I think it was in the very first one from this week in December, uh, December 1st, Tim Chester, he says this, kind of in, relate, in relating to, to all of these ideas of the Old Testament becoming clear. He said, in the Old Testament, God's promises were embodied in a, a whole variety of different ways. No one person or symbol could do the job to capture the full realities of God's promise. The rescue, think of the rescue of Noah and the ark show God's rescue from judgment. Moses revealed the need for a mediator. The sacrificial system showed God how God dealt with guilt and sin, of the guilt of sin. The tabernacle was a promise of, of God's presence with his people. We could go on and on, but the point is this. No one person or symbol on their own could encapsulate the fullness of God's purpose. But now... But now all the stories of the Old Testament have converged into a single moment. And that moment is the first Christmas day. The work of Jesus is so rich, deep, and all-encompassing that it needed all of those different pictures to prepare it for it. But Christ comes to complete and to fulfill them all. And that was just such a great paragraph, thinking of all these Old Testament passages that pertain all these different things about God's plan of salvation, and they all come together in Christ Jesus. And we'll see that. We see that 
in the coming weeks as we look at these Old Testament passages that point us to Christ. Just like last week, this week we're going to first we're going to look at the context of the passage and I'll give you time to, to get there. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, the last verse, which is, is verse 17 through 3 verse 5. So Malachi. So that's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you kind of go to the second half of the Bible and you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you can just kind of go past and go, go back to Malachi. So we're going to look at Malachi. And Malachi, it doesn't give us in the book a specific date or a really concrete place to say this is exactly when this happened. But many scholars believe that this is in the mid 500 BCs. So Malachi, he writes during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You think of Nehemiah who built, rebuilt, helped rebuild the, the wall around Jerusalem. So this is a time when the people returned back to the promised land. Last week we talked about how Jerusalem was being attacked by Babylon. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was coming against them. They'd already been a couple times where they had defeated them and sent many into exile, and this was a third time where they would come in, they would defeat Israel, they would destroy the temple, and a majority of the rest of the people would be sent to exile. And this is after that time. So Babylon and the Syrians, they've been conquered. Uh, Persia's in power, and they've let the Jews return to their homeland. And they've returned to the promised land that many of the Jewish people, not all of them, but many have returned. The temple has been built, and the people have returned, at least for a time, to worship the Lord rightly, but in Malachi we see that they've begun to rebel again against the word of God, and, and they've begun to question God in a lot of, of different ways, and so there's a rebellion there, some sins there. This is one summary. Um, in my ESV Bible, I had a short summary, and I was like, oh, that is so clear of what's going on in Malachi. Let me read a, just a little bit of that, help us kind of bring us up to speed of what's going on in this book. It says the warm response of Zacharias called the repentance. So there was a call to repentance that they responded to. But for the people had grown cold because God apparently, he hadn't restored the covenant blessings. Things hadn't happened the way that they thought they would be. And Malachi writes this a short time later, calling the people to repent with respect to these different things. To repent first, the, the priesthood had become corrupt. The worship had become routine, divorce, divorce had become widespread, social justice was being ignored, and tithing was neglected. So there's all these different things that are addressed, addressed in Malachi, in this book. And the people of God, they seem to be maybe following God in, in maybe in words, but not genuinely in heart, worshiping the Lord God. And they began to question God. And it's more than just really questioning. We see in the Psalms, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, that we do see in the Psalms that there's a question of, of why God, but this is a cynical doubting, even a condemning, a judging of God and his actions, questioning his faithfulness that happens in the book of Malachi as they respond to these things that God is saying about them. So the people had returned, but things didn't look the way they thought, and they began to act in ways and rebel against God. There had not been, at that time, a clear manifest, manifestation of God. So the people, they're questioning, but really they're making accusations against God in the book of Malachi. And there's different, several different disputes of some back and forth. And God 
uh, bringing statements and the people say, no, that's not true. And he comes back and gives evidence for those things. And those are some of the things that we're going to see as we look even at our passage today and, and look at some different examples in Malachi. Uh, but in the midst of this, we're going to see this prophesy, this prophecy of that of a messenger, two messengers really to come. So we'll get to that as we, we get into this. So now let's look at the text just a little bit. And let me read, let me read our passage today for us. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 and following. You, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring, they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former, day, and former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So here is this text, and we have this, these couple statements that people wonder, they hear these things and they say, no, these things aren't true, and the Lord comes and says, yes, they are. And begins to fulfill them. And we can see that pattern just a little bit. I think it's good just to see a little bit of that pattern that's happening. If you want to turn back with me to Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, we see a little bit of that as well. There's this first uh, dispute between God and the people. And he says in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? So there's this, even the beginning, there's this questioning saying, yes, I have loved you. And they, they say, well, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? And the people, they're rejecting the statement. There's this cynical statement of, of how. How, is this ha how have you loved us? Things haven't happened the way that we've expected. We haven't received the blessings that we anticipated. And the question is, how? Have you demonstrated your love? And they forget how the Lord has rescued them. How the Lord has restored them and he's sent them back to their land so that they could rightly worship him at the temple, but things still are just not quite as they seem. James Montgomery Boyce, he says it this way, God's love surrounded them in spite of their half-hearted devotion and open sin, but they are so insensitive to the love that they actually consider God remiss of his favor. They think he has not loved them to the degree that he should so there's a question, just wondering, you know, has he, has he loved us? And well, we see that as we get in 20, verse 17. Again, this question of God and these accusations. So verse 17, Malachi chapter 2, what's the statement? 
You have wearied the Lord with your words. You have wearied them. And they say, but how? How have we, how have we wearied the Lord? And then he, he, sells, he tells them. He just shows them. He says, everyone, this is what they have been saying about the Lord. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. So they're saying that as the Lord sees evil, that he's saying it's good and I delight in it. So they're accusing the Lord of making evil good and even delighting in that evil and not bringing justice. Where is the God of justice? Lord, you're not doing these things. You're loving evil. You're delighting in it. So it's more than just that kind of raising a hand and saying, why God? But an accusation, a condemning of God. And there's an irony here is that they don't even see the evil in their own accusations. Their words themselves are that which are evil. And I think in this, there's a warning to be, be slow to bring accusation against God. Now, we do see in the Psalms that there's this wrestling in times of sorrow where there's questions of God, hear my voice or why or when will you answer? But we must not condemn the Lord or call him unjust or that he is making evil a good in his sight. So there's a warning here as well. Um, we are welcome to, to come before the Lord in prayer, but we're not called to, to bring a judgment and accusation and cynical statements against the Lord, and we need to be cautious in heart, because we must not do that. So this is the attitude that they have, and the Lord responds to them, and lets them know that indeed there will be judgment to come. There will be a refining, but also judgment. He is not unaware of evil in the world. He's not one who will let those things um, be. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 1 and 2. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's so, so the Lord responds and says to them, indeed, yeah, there will be judgment. Judgment will come, but you know what? It'll begin first with you. It'll begin first with the people of God. The refinement will begin with them. So uh, he turns the tables a bit on them. They're, they're wishing for judgment and for God to step in. He says, yes, and it will first begin with you. The refinement, the judgment will begin with the people of God. Uh, so they need to be careful for what they wish for. Uh, the Lord indeed uh, does deal with evil. So he says that there is two messengers that will come in this passage. Two messengers. And the first says, I'll send a messenger that will prepare the way for the Lord. And now we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that brings us to the Advent season. Think of Matthew 11, verse 10, or Mark chapter 1, verse 2, or Luke chapter 7, verse 27. All of these um, verses, they quote this verse. 
and they all tell us that the fulfillment of this messenger to come was John the Baptist who came and prepared the way for who? Prepared the way for Jesus to come and the ministry of Jesus. And we have this second, then a second messenger to come. The messenger of the covenant will come. And the Lord, it says, the Lord will, whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight will come. And this second messenger of the covenant in light of the gospel, in light of the fulfillment of John the Baptist, we know is Jesus Christ. And the fulfillment comes initially through the birth of Jesus Christ as he came in his ministry and ushered in the kingdom of God. And I think we also can see a fuller also fulfillment in the second coming of Christ where there will be a full refinement and judgment that will come as well as we look at this passage. So we see this passage of, of these things that are coming, we have this messenger comes, that one who will purify, one who will refine. And it says that he is one who will be as like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So we have two illustrations of this refinement. And the first is that re refiner's fire. And we've talked about this before, but it's that idea of you have a precious metal and you heat it up to high temperature and all of the impurities come out and you're able to clean those impurities out and you have a pure metal of gold or silver, which it talks about in verse 3. And there's the refinement that comes by fire. And I've always joked that I, when I, I wish that the Lord would refine by bubbles and not fire. Uh, but here it says that he refines also by fuller soap. Um, but this is not a bubble bath type of soap that's going on. It's a strong soap to clean. And one commentary mentioned that um, during that time that, that people would go and when they would clean their clothes, they put it on a rock, they'd wash it and scrub it and they would beat it. And it's kind of like the, the, the agitate cycle in your dryer or your washing machine and, and clean it. And actually, when I lived in Ecuador, if you go down to the river, you'd see people doing that, just that type of thing, you know, washing their clothes and putting it on a rock and, and scrubbing it. And there's this awesome soap that we could, I could get in Ecuador, and I brought some back with me when I traveled there. And we need some more of that. It's good stuff. It gets stuff out. But anyway, um, but, so this is not a bubble bath kind of picture that's going on here. This is a strong refinement, but it's a refinement that doesn't result in the destruction of the people, though. It results in the people then faithfully following God. There's a refinement, a sanctification that happens through this refinement. Let me continue in reading verses 3 through 4. He, who sit, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former days. So we see that there's refinement, beginning with the priests, and what results is right worship before God, right offerings to God, um, that they're able to then bring right worship before Him that's pleasing to Him. And saying, hey, this will not consume you, but there will be refinement that happens. But, verse 5 says, there are those who will, will reject him. And they will not fear the Lord, and there will be judgment as well. He is a just judge. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress 
the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So judgment will come. So we've, now we've looked at the context, looked at the text itself, and now we want to look to see how does this pointing us to Jesus? How are these things fulfilled in him? We've talked about them a little bit as already as we see that the New Testament passages even point to, say, John the Baptist is fulfilling these. He is that messenger that came to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus comes. He arrives. He is the one who is God in flesh. As John, in the Gospel of John, speaks about in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, speaking of Christ, was with God, and the Word was God. Then verse 14 through 16 continue to speak of that advent, the coming of this messenger, Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. So we see that the Lord does come. He does arrive. This messenger comes in the Advent book by by Chester that we gave you guys Um, this week. He said the son, Jesus, is not simply the messenger, but he also is the message. He he is the word of God. He, He is the message. Then later Chester, in his book, he talks about an illustration where there is St. Anthony, who was an early Christian uh, monastic. And he was one who, there are three successive Roman emperor, emperors who would send him letters. So he, I guess he was a little bit like the Billy Graham of, of his day, where presidents would go to Billy Graham or whoever it might be. But they would send, these Roman emperors would send letters to St. Anthony. And apparently when a letter comes from the emperor, it's probably not uh, just come normally in the mail. But there, there is an imperial escort that would have brought this letter in. So everyone would have known and he receives this letter and the monks would gather around. What is the emperor, what is he writing you today? But as people, as they would gather around him, St. Anthony, he said this. Do not be astonished if an emperor writes to us, for he is a man. But rather wonder that God wrote the letter I'm sorry, wrote the law for men and has spoken to us through his own son. So don't be astonished by the emperor sending a letter, but by the creator of all things who sent us and spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then Tim um, Chester, he goes on to say, Jesus is God's letter written to communicate his love to us. And that letter was delivered in person quite literally. So we see that the Lord has come. Jesus Christ. And also we see that he did come to the temple. I think of the story of Jesus as a babe that Mary and Joseph, he, they took him to the temple to be circumcised. And as they enter in, we see the response of Simeon, who had been waiting for the Messiah, waiting for salvation to come, waiting for the presence of the Lord to enter the temple. And we read that account in Luke Chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Let me read that. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the Savior to come. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he sees Jesus and he says, I've seen salvation of God that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people Israel. So the glory of the Lord enters the temple through Jesus Christ, the one who is the messenger, but also the message, the word of God. And the promise of the Lord God are fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus is, too, that he's also that refining messenger and Messiah, one who refines and he purifies, the one who makes all things new. And he's begun that, he began that in his first advent. He ushered in the kingdom of God and he will return, he will return to make all things new and fully enter in and fully usher in the kingdom. But we know, again, he is that refiner that, refines in such a way he doesn't consume us, but he sanctifies us and makes us more like himself through his refining if we are those who turn from our sins and trust in him. So he enters the world and one who made known fully who God is. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now as we've looked at the context, the text, and how it looks to Jesus, may we see too, how does this apply to us today? How does, do we look and see the love of this refiner Jesus today? And if we are a follower of Christ, we, we do know that refinement of Jesus Christ, one who does refine, the one who refines us in such a way that it doesn't consume us, but it does, it makes us look more like him. And we see um, just that refinement that happens. And refinement, though, it isn't fun, though, at the same time. But it's still the kindness of the Lord when he works in us and he refines us. And we can be reminded of that, just as in this passage that he refined his people that they might rightly worship him. So the discipline of the Lord, the refinement of the Lord, isn't that which is evil or even harsh, but that of a discipline of a God who loves us. Think of Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to read that whole passage, but that's a good one to, to look at, where we see that the discipline, the discipline of the Lord is, is his love to us. The refinement of Jesus in our lives, so that we might look more like him, is an act of love in our lives, just as we discipline our children or those under us. We do it because we love them. I'm sorry, this is Hebrews 12, verse 5 and following. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have 
to endure. God treats you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Then later in verse 10, for the, they disciplined us, our parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So no refinement. By fire are our soap. <laughs> Feels good at the moment, but we know as we become more like Christ, sometimes our life, I think, will be a little bit like those pictures I talked about where at some point we'll be able to see, maybe in eternity, be able to see more clearly how all of these pieces have come together to what the Lord has been doing. So we're in Advent, we're in this time of waiting though, a time of waiting where we we even wait to understand all that the Lord is doing, all the refinement that he's doing, even to to be able to see fully his love toward us. And we wait, but we wait um, actively as well, not passively. We talked about that some last week and we continue to wait upon the Lord and even look at the refinement that he's doing in our life and even asking him, to reveal to us, Lord, show me what you're doing. Uh, May we not be surprised during our time of waiting that there is refinement in our our waiting. Even our waiting allows us to know that there is still more to come. And then one day we won't wait any longer. All our hope will be fulfilled in Christ. But we are reminded that God is not absent, even in the middle of refinement and sorrows and even of those dark valleys that we walk through. That he is with us. Uh, we need to be reminded of that. I think sometimes, though, we do forget what the Lord is doing. We have expectations of, of what he should do. And we need to be reminded that sometimes uh, what we think is best might not be best. This is a, a quote from Larry Crabb. He's a Christian writer, author that you may be familiar with in his book, Shattered Dreams. He says, the problem sincere Christians have with God often comes with the wrong understanding of what life is meant to provide. We naturally and wrongly assume we're here to experience something God maybe has never promised. More than perhaps ever before in history, we assume we are here for one fundamental reason, to have a good time. If not good circumstances, then at least good feelings. He continues, we continue to want something or someone more than God. We don't think that our biggest problem, that's our biggest problem, but it is. As long as our purpose is to have a good time, to have soul pleasure exceeds soul pain, God becomes merely a means to an end. It's just kind of a reminder that the Lord refines, and we do walk through storms and trials and difficulties, but we're reminded that God is not absent in that. That he is doing a work even in the midst of those things. He is our good shepherd that we said even walked through of Psalm 23. We're reminded of that. As sometimes we can't see all the implications of what he is doing. But we need to be reminded of that. One final kind of reminder I think as we looked at this, look at this passage. We, we see the, the people of Judah. How they are disgusted with the evil in the world and how God is not taking care of it. Uh, But they don't see 
and look in to see their own sin and rebellion from the Lord. And we are in a culture and a time that continually feeds off of kind of an atmosphere of criticism, of judgment, of comparison, of being easily offended and and taking sides and drawing battle lines. Uh, But I think we need to first look into our own hearts and our own self and be reminded that we all need Jesus. We need to first come humbly before the Lord God and ask him to reveal in our heart our own sin, our own need. And as we say in our family, who needs Jesus? Um, We all need Jesus. Mom and dad need Jesus. And that's why we have to ask forgiveness from our kids often because we we blow it. May we pray like the psalmist of Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. And as the Lord reveals those things to us and reveals such our such need for Jesus, may we be willing to allow him to refine and know that he doesn't destroy us through our refinement. If we are in Christ, as Romans 8 says, there, there's no condemnation in Christ. He's refining us. And may we look to the good shepherd who is leading us and guarding us and keeping us. He's using sometimes his rod and his staff to, to, um, to guide us. But know that, that he is in charge. May we look to Jesus. May we look to the one who is the messenger and also the message. God revealed to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And may we look to him and, and be encouraged by him. And this morning, maybe you come and you recognize that you, you do not know Jesus Christ. And I encourage you this morning, even this morning, to turn from your sins and yourself and, and trust Jesus and recognize that you need Jesus, the one who came fully God and fully man, who died on the cross and rose again victorious, that you might have life. And this morning, if you need to just learn more about that, uh, please find one of us. And this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you trusted him, may we throughout this season look to him, wait for him, even in the midst of those fire and refinements and trials, and know that he's not consuming, but that he um, is the one who um, brings even from us right worship out of those times. And may we be like Simeon in the temple and rejoice and say, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and for glory to your people, Israel. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we we thank you for your word, these ancient words that speak truth, and thank you for the Old Testament and all of these stories and these promises and these prophecies that all show aspects of who you are and pointed us to Jesus Christ, fulfilled in him. And may we, even during this Advent season, be encouraged by the truth and the faithfulness of your word and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the one who was the messenger and the message, the word. We thank you that we are able to find hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are willing, Lord, to refine us. But if we are children of the King, children, your children, that you are sanctifying us through those refinements. 
Lord, help us to trust you in them. Help us to see what you are doing in them. Help us in our time of waiting. Help us to know your love shown to us through Jesus Christ, who was not unwilling to die and to suffer in our place for our sins. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we we respond and